Well, let me take a moment and say Happy Mother's Day uh, to you ladies here today. Um, and I know that for a lot of us, this is a, a day of celebration, and also for some of us, it's a day of difficulty. And so I, I want to encourage us all to uh, cherish this day as something that the Lord has given us to say, this is what the, the, the Lord has given in our lives to, to give us people that love us. Their memories are, are uh, a sense of, of grace and uh, goodness from God. Um, their, their love that we have felt or that we do feel is by all means a, a sense of His goodness and grace. And so we want to tell you, ladies, um, that as mothers, we are thankful for you. Um, and we pray that you would feel that or understand that the Lord um, has given you to us as a gift. Um, so thank you for uh, the way that you love uh, the people around you. Um, we are going to continue our series today in a world of knockoffs. And as Tim read, I'll be in Galatians chapter 1 today. And I read in a, a, a kind of a tragic story. I, I really hate to start off this way, but um, it, it makes a pretty sound point. Um, I read a tragic story uh, this week of a family who was involved in a tragic accident in 2008, um, where, which took the lives of three adults and four children um, in, as they were traveling in their vehicle from Dallas to Mexico. And the Associated Press report that I read uh, says this, quote, a, uh, a sport utility vehicle carrying eight people from Texas plunged off an unfinished bridge into a river in northern Mexico, causing the death of three adults and four children, officials said on that Friday. The group was driving from Dallas to visit family in Mexico when the driver, following a dirt road, tried to cross the bridge before dawn on Thursday. The driver realized too late that the bridge did not span the conscious river and the vehicle fell upside down into the river, said Eduardo Esparza, a spokesman for the prosecuting office um, in that state where the incident occurred. Esparza said uh, at the conclusion of that article that there were no signs or barriers keeping traffic off of the bridge. I couldn't help but be shocked and alarmed by such a story um, and not to begin my sermon in such a, a, a sad and, and tragic note, but I want us to understand very clearly that this series of sermons is a warning for the church. And it's my job to be the warning sign, the flashing yellow lights as a preacher of the gospel that says, listen, there's danger ahead. And you don't want to go in that direction. And I'm thankful to have such a responsibility. It's a weighty responsibility. I don't apologize for it um, because I didn't write these words. The Lord did by his Holy Spirit. And they serve as a warning to us. And so um, as we consider uh, these uh, verses today in the book of Galatians, um, I would also ask you to uh, go ahead and keep your place there and look in Acts chapter 15 as well. Um, and, and heed the warning that you'll hear today because it tragically has greater effects upon the people in this world than driving off of a bridge with no warning uh, to tell about. And so um, 
Today we're going to look at the, uh, the tragedy of false gospels in our world. And as I said, we'll be in Galatians chapter 1. Uh, just so you can know a little bit about uh, the, the background of, of the book that we study, um, Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul to the churches located in the region of Galatia, Galatia which is in Asia Minor. This was a providence at the time that was ruled by Rome. And in the southern portion, Paul founded many churches on his first missionary journey. Uh, some of those churches were started and mentioned in Acts chapter 13 and 14, such as Lystra or Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, and Derby. These were um, some of the churches that Paul founded. Antioch particularly became an early hub of the churches in Asia Minor. So you had Jerusalem that had a lot of churches, but Asia Minor, uh, Antioch became a, a kind of a, a hub of the churches where local leaders and stuff were there. And um, it was founded by Paul's companion, Barnabas. Antioch was founded by Barnabas. After the work of the Lord brought many people to faith in Christ, the Bible tells us that persecution was spreading and it spread down into, uh, it sent Christians down into Asia Minor. And during that time, many people came to know Christ. And those people, most particularly, were not all Jewish people. They were Gentiles. And as we looked at last week and for the last two weeks, one of the things that we looked at was how the gospel was spreading beyond Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the other most parts of the earth. Antioch and Lystra and Iconium and Derby being founded and having churches there is an example of that. Because Gentiles were hearing the gospel and coming to know Christ. Um, so let me ask you to turn into Acts chapter 15 for a moment. Because as we look at Acts chapter 15, we're going to see a problem that occurs um, that is important and, and pertinent to our study today. In Acts chapter 15, as the gospel is spreading to the Gentiles, we begin to see um, some pushback from uh, a lot of the Jews that had become Christians in the early church that were demanding that Gentiles obey the Torah as a, as a, a sense of, of following after Christ, they were adding basically to the gospel message. Um, Barnabas was the first to encounter this issue in Antioch. And look in chapter 15 of Acts, um, starting in verse 1. It says, Now some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and it brought great joy to all the brothers. But when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them uh, and to order them to keep the law of Moses." 
Now the apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believed and got, and believe and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their heart by faith that's important for us to see Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test, he says, by placing a yoke on the neck of these disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So as you understand, the tension that rose in the early church was a tension of believing the gospel plus something else. And it was a challenge for the early church, and the early church rose up to meet that challenge. And in these discussions, uh, as I emphasized in my reading, in verse 9 and in verse 11, Peter, in his wisdom led by the Holy Spirit, was able to make clear that faith in Jesus Christ was a faith that came by faith alone, and not faith plus the works that were being uh, called uh, upon the people to observe. And so this problem uh, was brought about um, in the early church, and it becomes the same problem as Paul writes to the Galatian church. And so I can't uh, understate to you the importance of this passage in Acts 15 as we consider what Paul is teaching us in Galatians 1, and as we consider um, our time as Christians in this day and age, where we too will be faced with the challenge of what does the gospel say, what is the true gospel, and what else is uh, being uh, trying to be amended or uh, 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 added to the gospel so that we might be distorted or uh, deceived. Because by all means, we must understand that false gospels are out there. And those false gospels are a work of Satan and and demonic activity in every way. Because Satan wants you and I to be deceived into believing something that will lead to our destruction, not our salvation. And when we add things to the beautiful message of the gospel of Jesus Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, when we add things to that, we are being deceived and we are deceiving other people. And so today we're going to look at Galatians chapter 1. And as Galatians chapter 1, we will see the Galatian church faces the same problem where Judaizers come in and they are teaching behind Paul that people must do something else besides believe in Jesus Christ in order that they might be saved. And so Paul does a a splendid job of helping us understand the gospel by grace through faith alone um, so that we might discern false gospels um, in the church. So my first uh, direction to go this morning will be in Galatians chapter 1, looking at the first verses um, as we look at the true gospel, the gospel of by grace through faith. 
Look at me with, uh, with me again at what Paul says. He says, Paul, an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now immediately, Paul is giving his uh, familiar uh, introduction um, to the letter that he's writing. He's writing a letter, so he addresses himself as the Apostle Paul. And a a lot of times, if you're like me, uh, we read these verses and we begin with glancing over these first verses, thinking, oh, well, this is just a, hey, good to see you, how you doing? I'm about to tell you some really important things. And we'll sometimes, if you're not careful, skip over the theological meat that is found in the first salutation of Paul and Peter and other writings in the New Testament. Paul very specifically is making a point in the very first few verses or few words by calling himself an apostle. Notice what he says. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Why is Paul saying that? Because as Paul ministered to the people in Galatia, And he uh, spent much time there ministering to them. As he exited from those churches as he did, these false teachers came behind him and they undermined the things that Paul had taught them about the gospel. They had undermined the gospel. And so as as Paul took a trip and and traveled away, false teachers moved in and with with all demonic uh, activity and, and intention tried to distort the things that Paul had taught them. And on top of distorting what he taught, they tried to undermine his ministry by calling him an illegitimate apostle. Someone who didn't deserve to be speaking with the authority of God. And that's why Paul says that he's an apostle, which, by the way, means a sent one, someone that was sent out by God. And we know that the apostles were the 12 disciples, minus Judas, who had lived with the, with the Lord Jesus Christ, walked with him, followed him, watched him as he was sacrificed and rose victoriously from the grave. They, they witnessed Jesus in his resurrected state. And they were the very ones that, that the Lord Jesus sent out with a commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And so you're thinking probably what a lot of people are thinking. Well, the Apostle Paul wasn't there. And yet Paul says here that he was an apostle through Jesus Christ. That's why I emphasize verse 12. Because he tells us that he did not receive the preaching, the the, the words that he spoke... He did not receive the gospel from any man, nor was he taught it, but received it as a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't have a time to go into the biography of Paul, but if you go to Acts chapter 9 and you read some of his letters, he describes the, the very situation, the circumstance where the Lord Jesus himself appears and reveals himself to Paul. In his salvation experience, therefore giving Paul the authority to be not only an apostle, a true apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, but to speak as an authoritative figure in the church. Well, one of the things that Paul was fighting against in this letter 
is the undermining of that idea. And so what we have to understand from this from the very beginning is that Paul is declaring what God wanted the Galatians to hear because God spoke through the Apostle Paul. Now let me tell you something. As a church, you have to land right now, you have to land on an understanding that this is what Paul, uh, what, what gave Paul the authority to be an apostle. Because if you don't, if you deny the apostleship of Paul, then you might as well throw away and tear out most of your New Testament because he wrote those words by the authority of the Holy Spirit, which were the very words of God. So to deny what Paul said as the true authoritative word of God is to deny most of the, of the New Testament outside of the Gospels because of the works that were contained within it. Now that seems like, oh Nathan, you're going a little overboard. Well, it's the very reputation of Paul even today, church. Even today in our world where homosexuals and the LGBTQ community are the ones trying to discredit the words of Paul because Paul so spoke so eloquently and clearly about the sin of homosexuality and they say that Jesus didn't really speak so harshly about it. And so they try to discredit Paul getting you to disbelieve that Paul's words were the very words of God so that they can then twist and turn the scriptures to therefore verify what they are doing as okay. That's how serious believing Paul's apostleship really is. And it's very important for us to understand it as we believe the gospel because Paul is the very one that declared the gospel throughout his letters to us. Defining it, giving it clarity, simplicity. That Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose victorious on the third day according to the scriptures. So we must believe. Not blind belief. But we must believe because of what Paul experienced in his life. What the disciples experienced in witnessing the transformation of Paul and the authority that Jesus Christ had given him. So we must believe. And as we believe that message, we understand and trust the Word of God that's been given to us. That the Word of God given to us by the authority of of the Holy Spirit through the words of, of men like Peter and Paul, that they've been given to us and we have no reason to doubt them. Because what Satan wants to do, the schemes that he wants to engage us in, is that we begin to doubt the very words that are written. And we become very critical of them. And and you know where our criticism lends us to? When we begin to go off the track of, of believing the Word of God as it's been given to us, we begin to discredit the very people that wrote it which leads to doubt in what God has done historically and biblically, therefore leads us to stop trusting in the words themselves. This is very pertinent for us as as believers in Jesus Christ to understand that God's word is, is without error. It's without failure in any way. And we can trust it and he's given it to us and he's preserved it so that it can lead us to godliness and it can lead us to understand the truth of the gospel so that people might be saved. And let me just say as a side note, as a soapbox, 
in this moment that the gospel is not your testimony. For us to declare the gospel to someone is to not to declare what Jesus has done for you. That's not the gospel. That's good news to you. That's not necessarily good news to the world. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is what was spoken with the authoritative word of the Holy Spirit through the mouths of holy men that leads us to salvation. Your testimony leads no one to salvation. It's what happened to you becoming a Christian. What people need to hear is the transformative power of of the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross and his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That is what saves people. So by all means, share your testimony and what Jesus has done. But in the same vein, call people to repentance and trust in Jesus that he might transform them as he's transformed you. Notice what Paul says as as he uh, validates for us his his message of the gospel. Look at verse 1 again. He says that this message that he's sharing as an apostle, it was not uh, his apostleship and therefore what he says was not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. And then look in verse 10. He tells them again, for I am not seeking the approval of man or of God. I am, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. There delineates the true gospel from the false gospel. A true gospel seeks out to glorify Christ, not to glorify man's opinion about them. So when we go out to, uh, to stand upon the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we understand that it's an offensive word. Paul was literally stoned almost to death because of the gospel that he was preaching. And so standing firm upon the true gospel is a stand to not seek the approval of man, but to honor and glorify Christ no matter what the circumstances or the repercussions might be. But if you stand on a false gospel, the world will love you because it's a watered-down gospel. It's a watered-down good news. It's palatable to those who are living in sin. It's palatable to those who don't want to engage in repentance and surrender. They just want the blessings of spiritual life. And so Paul continues then by laying out for us After validating and authenticating his message, stating that his apostleship is is the very means in which he can speak the words that God has given him, he then goes forward in verses 3 and 4 saying, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father. Uh, according to the will of our God and Father. Paul here, again, is, is giving us nuggets of the gospel that, again, we would, we would possibly overlook or not pay attention to. These very doctrinal truths, these, these meaty words that are more than just an introduction to his letter. He speaks about the grace and the peace that we receive from God, the, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace that 
literally defines the very foundation of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is that salvation is a free gift to all who believe. That is the grace that is the bedrock of the gospel. The fact that salvation is a gift of God, not of works or of merit of men. While the opponents of Paul will preach to the Galatian church, telling them something very different about the way a person would receive the blessings of eternal life, Paul says, no, 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 the message of the gospel is grace and grace alone. And it's the same message that's been passed on through a true healthy church that God's gospel is merely and and ultimately about the work of God and the love of God that he has cast upon man that leads us to an unmerited salvation. This means, church, that salvation is God's choice to save you, not your choice to be saved. I'll say that again. That means that salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, is a salvation about God reaching out to save you, not your choice to be saved. Listen, Paul is an example of that grace. Paul was content in living as a protagonist of the church's mission of spreading the gospel. He was, uh, he was so uh, anti against the work of the Christian church that he was literally uh, administering and participating in the murder of Stephen, of dragging Christians and throwing them into prison. But God, by his great mercy, caused Saul to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul was called by the will of God, he says, to be an apostle. The will of God, the purpose of God, the plan of God was for Paul to become apostle. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says he was a chosen instrument of the Lord's to carry his name before the Gentiles. Acts chapter 9. Even when he was dead in his trespasses and sins, God made him alive together with Christ. Ephesians chapter 2. By grace, Paul has been saved. Salvation, church, is grace alone. And so, also in your life as a follower of Jesus, to understand this grace is to understand that God has graciously, richly set his eye upon you to save you before you were ever even born into this world. Not because he looked forward to something good that you would do for him. Instead, he chose to save you merely as a means of glorifying himself and saving sinners. Therefore, in understanding this truth, you can greatly cherish the beauty of God's saving grace. Understanding that your salvation has nothing to do with you. You just received the blessings of it. Its very essence of being by grace alone is simply the fact that God has done everything for you so that you might believe and experience the beauty of His love and a relationship with Him because you are unable to do so in your own strength. Paul also says, grace to you and peace from the Lord. He's not saying, hey guys, I hope you have a really peaceful day today. Shalom. 
He's literally saying that, that you have received peace from the Lord. That you have received this peace, a foundational component of the gospel that Paul makes clear in his writings. Matter of fact, one of the prime truths and doctrinal truths of the book of Galatians is that believers are justified not by works of the law, not by fulfilling the law and obeying the law like being circumcised and obeying the Torah, that literally you are, uh, you are um, justified or made right before a holy judge by faith. And you might ask yourself, well, pastor, isn't my faith then a work that merits my salvation? And I would say, no, Ephesians 2 tells you that your faith is a gift of God. Not of works so that no one would boast. So if you could generate a reasonable, practical, real faith on your own that would reach out to choose the Lord in your own strength and power, therefore saying, God, I see you in my own strength. I can see your goodness. I can see your salvation. I can understand your power and your salvation that's been provided. And by choosing you, I will receive the eternal blessings Then you would just boast in that. You would just be proud of yourself And you would do a universal pat yourself on the back for all the good things you have done. But by grace, through faith, solidifies the fact that we can brag about nothing. That it's only what Christ has done for us. Paul is making this case for us in Galatians chapter 3. If you have to flip a page, you can. If not, it might be on the same page in your Bible. Look at chapter, 10, uh, chapter 3 verse 10. He's calling the Galatians foolish. He says that they've been bewitched. Look at verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the books of the law and do them. That's the curse. That the law of God, the Torah itself, condemns all people who try to seek salvation and obedience to the law. Because none of us obey the law in every respect. We might think we're like the rich young rulers. Oh yeah, Jesus, I do all these things. I keep all these laws. We're lying to ourselves. We don't keep them. We have broken every commandment of the Lord even today, church. That's why we need the grace of Christ and His power to transform us. Because in and of ourselves, we can do no spiritual good. Let me continue. Verse 11 of Galatians 3. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. So therefore, church, a follower of Jesus who accepts the reality that man in himself is helpless spiritually and needy of even faith to believe in Christ will be transformed both personally and positionally before Jesus Christ. What that means is, is that when we believe in Christ, we are so personally transformed that we are new people. That's what we need. Paul calls it the old man that is dying. We become new men and women in Christ. We are babes 
New infants that need to learn and grow more and more in understanding the Word of God. But we personally become new. But positionally we become new as well. This is the peace that we receive when we are justified and made right before God. Positionally, we stand before a holy judge not guilty. Not full of shame. We stand positionally before a holy judge as righteous because of what Jesus Christ has done. He has placed his righteousness upon us so that we might stand innocent in the eyes of God. So we come then to understand that the grace and the peace comes from Jesus. But Paul even continues in verse 4 of Galatians 1, who gave himself for our sins. Here's, Here's the meat of it all. We have the grace and the peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Why? Because Jesus gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the evil age. We were slaves to sin and death. Christ had to come and and sacrifice His own self to be the atoning sacrifice, shedding His own blood to deliver us from our enslavement. So that we might truly be free. And if you continue to read Galatians in chapter 5, you will see this beautiful chapter. And I'll just read verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not again submit to a yoke of slavery. Slaves to sin and death. Slaves to the law. Freedom in Christ Jesus who died and gave himself so that sinners might be set free. This is the the beauty of the gospel message. That our lives are transformed for the glory of Christ. And don't forget, back in Galatians chapter 1, that as Christ sets us free from the, the, the tyranny and the slavery to sin and evil in this present age... According to the will of our God, he does so. Why? Verse 5, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Not just the conclusion of his, uh, of his introduction. He's literally telling us that the gospel message, the grace and the peace because of the willing sacrifice of Christ, his death and resurrection, all was accomplished for what? Not for us. Not so that we could be in heaven with with the Father because He's lonely up there. Because He would be most glorified in us by saving sinners that were unworthy. That His glory would be magnified in sending His Son, willingly giving up His life so that sinners who were completely unworthy could go from enemies of God and tyrants to God to sons and daughters of God. Receiving the love of the Father unconditionally. Now folks, we don't know a love like this in this world. Even as a mom and dad, as parents, we try to love our children unconditionally. And even it's a challenge for us. Because we're not God. And it's only by the power of Christ can we truly love people unconditionally. Our human nature, our tendencies as human beings is still to affix things to our love conditionally. 
so that one child in your family, parents, may receive a little bit extra love on certain days because they didn't give you the problems that the other kid did. Not unconditional love. Sorry to break it to you. Very much conditional. And I'm guilty of it. If there was a mirror back there, I'd be pointing right at it because I'm just as guilty. It's easy to love the easy ones, right? But what if God loved us that way? He doesn't. He loves us because His love is perfect and wise and good. And it sets the standard as we understand the true gospel and what Christ has done for us. So the true gospel is a gospel of grace and peace that we come to through faith in Christ alone. So that we're justified in that faith, not in works. Therefore, we must then understand the dangers of a false gospel. Look at verse 6 and 7. Paul says, I am amazed. He says, I am amazed or astonished, if your translation says that, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now, I have a homework assignment for you. This week, in your quiet time and devotion, read three, four, five introductory uh, of, of, of different books that Paul wrote. And I want you to see the contrast of the Galatians introduction and the introduction, say, to Philippians and the introduction to Thessalonians. Because you will see a stark contrast where Paul is doting and congratulating and encouraging these other churches as he enters into the beginning of his letter. I love you. My, my affections are so deeply for you. And literally, with just a punch in the gut, Paul begins his letters to the Galatians by saying, I am astonished at your poor behavior. <laughs> you ever feel that way? Like that's the way that the, the Lord is speaking to you? We need that, church. Paul, Paul is doing what the Galatians need in their own spiritual souls to be reprimanded on the very beginning because they had fallen into great error. What is that error? That they are so quickly deserting Him, the Lord Jesus, who called them in grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And then Paul clarifies, not that there is another gospel... But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul's immediate concern for the Galatians was the fact that these false teachers had come in and they were teaching a distorted gospel message. Now I want you to be clear. There are not multiple gospels. There is one gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ... And then there are distortions of that gospel. I could say it another way. There are not detours to the same destination of salvation. There are only distortions and distractions to that. And we must, as Christians, put on our spiritual ears and eyes by the power of the Holy Spirit and be willing to discern what those distortions are 
so that we are not in danger ourselves. Let's look at the concern that Paul had in the book of Galatians. Go back to chapter 3. Let me read verses 1 through 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer for many uh, many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness? Paul's point to the Galatians and his rebuke in in chapter 3 is the very same, but he lays it out for us. The contrast, the rub, the argument that Paul is making is this. You are a church and you are transformed not by following the words of the law. You are transformed by faith in Christ. You may live according to the law. Paul's not disowning the importance of the principles of God's word, even in the Old Testament. But he's telling them that their salvation does not come by observing the commandments because you cannot observe them perfectly. The law simply condemns us and shows us our need for Christ. Understand that, church. And so a false gospel, a distorted gospel, is any gospel that declares that you have to do something in order to attain salvation by your works. Let me keep going in chapter 3. He says very clearly, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be Uh, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by faith. Christ redeemed us, church, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged, is, is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Paul is very clear. When we begin to trust ourselves and the works of man to bring about salvation, we are believing a distorted gospel. And the words that he uses back in chapter 1 is that we are deserters. A deserter is someone who, in in a military sense, is someone guilty of defection. Someone whose allegiance was to one government and who has defected to another government. Very clearly, the word desertion in the Greek means setting something, our affections and our belief, from one place into another. And therefore, believing false gospels, which culminate around man's efforts and man's strength, is deserting 
the true gospel and a love and commitment to Christ. And these false teachers had come in in Acts chapter 15 and in the, in the church in Galatia and they were teaching people that the gospel message by faith alone was not enough, that you had to add on these works as well. And we must reject such things. And Paul is telling us the existence of these false gospels, these distortions to the true gospel. And he's reminding us that a distortion of the true gospel is no different than the distortion of a true God. As we see throughout Christian history, that people are constantly trying to rewrite who Jesus is. They're trying to rewrite what Jesus said. They're trying to rewrite what Jesus stood for. And every time we see that, we understand that that is a work of Satan. Some lunatic in Brazil that stands up and says that he's the Messiah, driving a Lamborghini, getting his three or 4,000 followers to follow him. We think that guy is a lunatic and a blasphemer for declaring that he's Jesus in the flesh. That's, those, those people exist even today. So then we should look at the false gospels and understand that those are similarly demonic in every way. J.C. Ryle states that false doctrine has been the chosen engine which Satan has employed in every age to stop the progress of the gospel of Christ. And let me just say that distorting the gospel is not merely misspoken moments of error. Any of us can mistakenly speak incorrect things biblically, and upon discovering our error, I hope, whether it be me or any of us, that we would correct ourselves. I I didn't mean to say that, or I, I misinterpreted that. But when you as a false teacher go in and you're preaching a gospel other than Christ, salvation in Christ by faith alone, you are clearly committing spiritual violence against God and His people. This is what Paul tells Timothy. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Any distortion of the gospel is a teaching of a demon. So I want you to, and I really wanted to do this today, and and I thought they'll never sit through an hour and a half sermon. But I want you to do a survey of all the different faiths that exist. Buddhism, Hinduism, the cults that that have come about and sprung up. Every one of those are man-centered efforts to attain enlightenment or connection to some spiritual being or God himself. They are all about our efforts. They are all about our work. They are all about doing good in the world and balancing our good with our bad. And and, and it is our good outweigh our bad at the end of our lives. Everything is merited and balanced, not on an unconditional act of God alone, but literally on the efforts of man throughout this life. And you know what that does? It keeps us busy. It keeps us religious. But it does nothing in the end for our salvation. That's why those false teachers in Jesus' day in the parable said, Lord, Lord, I've done all these great things in your name. I've done all these religious things in your name. And Jesus says, I don't even know you. So what are the consequences of believing a distorted gospel? The Bible is clear that deserting Christ 
leads to falling away from the faith. Now, this may confuse us because you've heard me preach that once saved, always saved. You can never lose your salvation. And by all means, I still hold to that today. But the Bible speaks of uh, language and words of falling away from the faith. And it is a very true thing. Not losing our salvation, but falling away from the, the, the realities of the gospel that you've heard and understood, but you've never grasped hold of. And to me, in my own opinion, that is the place that so many people sit in the pews today. They've heard the realities of Jesus. They've, they've understood the, the practical principles and, and, and ide- ideologies of the Bible. But they sit there unmoved, unchanged, untransformed. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now, Paul, or excuse me, the writer of Hebrews is telling us in this passage, not that that these are brothers in Christ, but these are ethnic brothers. He's writing to Jews who, in, in the congregations to which the writer of Hebrews wrote, there were some who were Christians from the Jewish, Jewish ethnic group, and then there were some who were, um, they were, they were listening and they were introduced to the truths of the Bible, but they had not fully believed. They had been introduced to the truths of the gospel, but they had not believed, and so they're falling away as a rejection of the truth of the gospel. The danger of many people in churches today is that we've we've been so inoculated with the the, the truths of the Bible, but we've never accepted them. And commenting on this verse, John, John MacArthur says that the Holy Spirit is saying to everyone who hears the gospel, respond to Jesus while your heart is still warmed and softened by this truth. While it's still sensitive, respond to his sweet love and his call of grace. Wait too long and you'll find your heart getting hard and insensitive. The decision, he says, will become harder and harder as your heart becomes harder and harder. And if you continue to follow your evil, unbelieving heart rather than the gospel, you'll forever depart from the living God and forfeit salvation rest. Now what's John MacArthur talking about? He's not talking about true believers in Jesus who love Jesus and follow Jesus and then one day had a bad year and then never follow Jesus again. We would acknowledge those people were never followers of Christ. And Jesus gives us a great example of that in Matthew chapter 13. In the parable of the soils, he says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this person, this one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, endures for a while, but then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, he immediately does what? Falls away. Same words. Or, as for what's sown among the thorns, this person hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes or proves unfruitful. These are examples of people who have believed a false gospel. Or they have responded occasionally, but without genuineness 
to the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. A gospel of grace and a gospel of peace. So in conclusion, church, we must be clear as to what the gospel teaches. What it proclaims about Jesus. What is the good news of Jesus Christ? Well, we have, I've said it. You hear it every week. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. He came upon this earth in the, the, uh, as both God and man living a perfect life, giving his life as a sacrifice for sinners, paying fully and completely for sin to be vanquished, to be wiped away. His uh, a work upon the cross was a sufficient work. He, was, he died and was buried and victoriously rose from the grave and ascended upon uh, on high to, to be with the Father in victory with all royalty and splendor. And upon believing in Jesus Christ by faith and repentance, we understand that we can be saved. And we understand that that gospel message is the true gospel and it's the only gospel. So that there is no other way into salvation but through Jesus Christ. As he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Notice he doesn't say, no one comes to the Father but through me and other things that you attach to your salvation to provide that salvation apart from me. So I'll conclude with what Paul says in the most clear way. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Father, we come to beg you, Lord, for clarity. Lord, there are so many different examples of false gospels and and false doctrines in our world today that demean your glory. They dilute the beauty of your unconditional love and grace and peace. God, protect our hearts and minds. Protect in the hearts and minds of our children as they live in this world that is throwing at them the schemes of the devil and the evil of this age. Protect them so that they might understand that Jesus Christ is all they need for salvation. Help us, Father, to trust in Him fully and completely by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone so that we might live our lives day by day for your glory alone. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together.